Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. I've been battling allergies for years now. Let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available release sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. People's buying patterns have changed. And they're asking themselves, why am I buying and working with the companies I've always worked with? And people want a higher sense of fulfillment. People lose a job. They've lost a job. They've lost loved ones. They have people affected medically. All these things cause people to reevaluate their lives. And if there is a company that has a cause and they bring their team into it, this is actually a way to keep making more money because more people want to work with you because you're part of something bigger and it motivates you to make an impact. So the charitable organization wins, the business wins, and customers love you. What's up, gang? Welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazdeh. I'm so pumped to have you here with me. Now, listen, The Greatness Machine, we're about two things. Number one, people who are living their passions. And number two, those who are creating greatness in the world and doing both of these things despite the odds against them. Each episode, we're going to feature interviews with game changers, business leaders, you know, telling us their origin stories, what made them tick, what got them to where they are now. Why? So it can help you step into your greatness within your life, your business, and your career. Occasionally, you might hear a few solo episodes from myself, moi, as I say, as I leverage my 20 years of entrepreneurship as a CEO and founder to help you grow and level up in your journey to scale your life and your business. So come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversation, and I'm stoked to have you here with me. Guys, welcome to The Greatest Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazde, and boy, do we have a special guest. My main man, Derek Kinney, is in the house. What's up, Derek? Darius, it is so much fun to be with you. I'm a big fan of the podcast, and it's a real honor to have me on your show. So thanks for letting me be here today. Oh, man, the pleasure is mine. Kinney is the CEO of Good Money Framework, and he's the host of the popular Good Money podcast. And this inspires you to make more money and use it for good. And I'm all about, as, as you guys all know, I'm a conscious capitalist. Conscious capitalism is all about doing great while doing good. Um, you've been, man, you've been on CNBC, Fox News, CNN, Fox Business, PBS, Chatter News, Wall Street Journal, and so many others. And we're going to be talking, most importantly, about USA Today best-selling book. Got it in my hand here. The Good Money Revolution. Yeah, so, I love so, it. So pumped, man. <laughs> So pumped for us to be having this conversation. So, Derek, um, I always like to start the show off because most people like they're like, "Oh, great, man! You're you're a badass, and this is all the cool stuff you're doing in your life." But as we both know, that's not how it starts. No. I love origin stories, and I'd love to take a step back and kind of learn about you and your origin story, man. Take us back to the beginning. Well, let me take you back more on a personal journey, Darius, and I I get a bit emotional talking about this because it. It really was hard. You know, we moved around six times before the sixth grade. And I'm going to turn my head so you can kind of see my nose. I was blessed with a larger than average nose. And, uh, you know, people let me know about it. I, I thought I've got this great piece of artwork on my face. I'm a blessing to the world. Well, other people didn't quite see it that way. And, man, I was bullied and taunted and teased. And it, it was hard. And it was hard moving around. My dad would lose jobs or take new jobs. And so, I land here in Arlington, Texas in the sixth grade, and I realized, you know, Derek, you either have to find a way to deal with being teased like this and let that define you, or you can create sort of a new story. And I really wrestled with that for a couple of years, went into junior high, and that's always hard. And my mom uh, somehow gave me a book, and it was by a woman called Judy Zarafa, and it was a book called Go For It. And, and basically, the book was about how to survive the teenage years. I think a lot of us could probably benefit from that book. And there was a chapter on how to be popular. And it's a funny chapter. It talked about you know, how to make friends, how to listen to people, how to be responsible. And I was like, I've got nothing to lose. I'm going to go all in on this chapter. And I began to do those things. And what I found was 
while I was getting teased, there was a lot of other people, a lot of other students that were hurting just like me. And I realized, man, we were a bunch of nobodies, but together we could become somebody. And and so I had this crazy idea. So I'm going to fast forward now. I'm now a, a sophomore in high school. And I decided to run for office. I decided to run for junior class president. Okay, I'm going to just put it all out there. Nothing to lose. Now, I did not come from the gene pool of the successful clicky kids. So I was definitely an outsider. And so I had this idea that most people make these big campaign posters and big letters. They write, hey, vote for so-and-so. Well, I was going to go the contrarian route. And uh, I made really small letters thinking this is going to cost people to walk up and look at the poster and really see my name and vote for me. Well, it had the opposite effect. I realized why people don't put small letters on posters. I didn't win. Okay. So I licked my wounds, learned some lessons there. So the next year I said, you know what, with all this uh, experience I've gained in a failed campaign, I'm going to run for student body president, which was like the, the person for the whole school. So there were five candidates running and uh, I was racking my brain, Darius, like, what can I do to stand out? And this idea popped in my head that there were all these cliques in the school. There was the rock and roll crowd and the country music crowd and the athletic crowd, the band crowd, the, the student crowd, but nobody really interacted. And the idea was, what if I got a picture taken with the leaders of each of those groups and put a poster board with the picture above where they hung out? And it would say something like for the rock and roll crowd, hey, rock the vote with Derek. Derek's our guy, that kind of thing. Well, what happened was people began to get excited. People who were sort of the wallflowers and the nobodies in the school suddenly felt like they were part of something really cool. And so we won the election that day. Ah, man, it makes me emotional thinking about it. And uh, it wasn't me that won. It was all of us that won. It It was a win for everybody who was told they were nobody, but on that moment, they became a somebody. And then I tell you that story because that was high school. I'm not a guy that, hey, I peaked in high school and the rest of my life has been downhill, but I learned a valuable lesson. And that was when you can make people feel wanted and important and listened to and part of something bigger, man, they want to join you. And it doesn't end in high school. It goes throughout people's entire adult lives. And I believe that was a principle that really helped me build a successful financial planning business. I would tell you, I wasn't the smartest guy. There were a lot of people that came into the business who were former financial analysts on Wall Street, this and that. But I just learned that if I could relate to people and have connection with people, I could always hire people to cover my weaknesses. But most people's strengths were simply not having people know you like you trust you. And it's a skill that actually can pay you and pay you well by adding great value to other people. Oh, I love that. So you don't know this, but we have something in common in that I ran for office myself. (laughs) Really? Okay. All right. And I was like, you know, I was like semi, you know, like I was known, but not like the most popular person. And I had a similar experience that you did that everyone had their big signs of the big names. And I, I was, I, I'm a, I'm always early. And so I would, I would, the internet wasn't around back then. This is like 1994. And so the internet was like, there was no like clickbait, but I created analog clickbait, which was, (laughs) which was essentially posters of current events. And I would relate myself to the current events of 1994, like the OJ Simpson trial and like, I mean, it was a lot of it was super. It was I was a big fan of Saturday Night Live, like like Chris Rock, uh, which, right, right, uh, yeah. uh, Chris Farley, Adam Sandler, all those guys. So I, that style of humor, which was like pretty much like kind of rude and sophomoric, which I was sophomore in high school, so it was perfect. <laughs> right, yeah. And so I had these posters that were absolutely like inappropriate for high school, like a picture. I mean, like you, I'm making fun of like the OJ Simpson trial. And like Arnold Schwarzenegger and Michael Jackson. And I mean, and I have pictures of these people, and then I'm relating my name to it. And it'd be like, like, I have a picture of Stevie. Here's a perfect one picture of Stevie Wonder. It says, anyone could see that Darius is the right choice. Uh, right. And, and so, but I, I hang up all these posters. I'm thinking I'm so clever, which I kind of was. I hang up all, I probably built like 25 different posters. And they're like these like nine and a half. They're like the legal side. So my, was I did in my buddy's house. Okay. His father was an attorney. So it was on eight and a half by 14 and a half. <laughs> and I hang up all over the school at like 730 in the morning. 
I carpet bombed the school. And Derek, by first period, they're all torn down and I got pulled to the principal's office. Oh. <laughs> and, and here's the best part. Oh my. I had I had gone viral in my school. Like everyone like this became a big deal. And I and I, literally nobody, barely anyone knew who I was before this, and I won president. <laughs> <laughs> It's all brandy, man. <laughs> Dude, I, in my school, the way you became junior class president was you had to get the most votes out of, there was a council of like eight people and the okay. one with the most votes out of that got it. So there's like 50 people running. So literally all my posters got tur- torn down and because they all got torn down. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I did learn something that day. That oh, I, that yeah. I, that, that I, my humor was not appropriate for uh, 14 and 15 year olds. But uh, <laughs> What's so cool though is as you say that, I mean, I think there's a lesson there that so many people, I think, question themselves and hold themselves back thinking, I've got this crazy idea. What if I look bad or what will people think about it? And in the reality, it actually elevates you to have a voice. Yeah. And and I like that. I mean, even though the principal may not have liked it and maybe you had some opposition, but it accomplished the goal and it puts you in a position to make some positive change. I mean, so I, I think it's a cool story, you know? Yeah, no, it was, it was actually a pivotal moment in my life because it, it introduced me to uh, student leadership. Yes. And, and, and then it also showed me, to your point, that I had a, that people would like gravitate towards my being different, mm. right? Yeah, and, then, yeah. and, and, and what was funny was the next year, I did it again and I won again. For uh, for good for you, imagery for student body president. I uh, was student body vice president, which is a different story because I ran with a friend, let him run for president. And he he got kicked out of the election. Oh, wow. but 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 interestingly enough, to a bunch of people started copying me. <laughs> so so I I saw so I learned all these lessons that I use in entrepreneurism later. It's like oh, if you do something cool, like you know you know people will copycat you and mimic you and. To your point, find your voice. But yeah, it was a really interesting moment because I did realize I love being a leader, and you know that that set me on a journey where I'll, that's all I've done with my life is work in leadership positions. So yeah, yeah, man, I love. I lo- I'm like, yeah, is he talking about tra- running for for <laughs> junior class president? I'm like, you're talking to a junior class president. Yeah, that's amazing, man. So so I love that, and I love how you know you leverage this experience to realize how do I build trust, right? Because you know, there's so much. I know you're, you're you've gotten to the money game, and and you know, man, there's there's a couple things in this world that that are not necessarily obvious at first. Like it's obvious that you need to have trust with friends and family, but then when you start to think of the money game, it's like you're in order to build a, a business like you built around wealth management, you have to go build trust with people who you don't necessarily know to give you the most important thing that will support the thing that's, that they care about most. So, yeah. t- so walk us through that. Like, how did you, you know, you, you went from this, this experience of reading the book on how to be popular to, you know, to testing the idea, to, 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 to it not working, to then it figuring out how to make it work again, like a great entrepreneur that, that, that you are. How, how did that, how did you end up in this game where you said, I'm going to go become a wealth manager? How, why did you care about money in that, in that sense? Yeah, so let me take you to college with me. So I I was that guy that squeezed four years into six. I, I had to work oh. my way through. I mean, you know the drill. And uh, clap, you know, clap, my, clap. My my parent, my dad lost his job when I was starting my junior year in college. And this is not a sob story, just to kind of give you the the backdrop here. They wrote me a check for a thousand dollars, and they paid my rent, which I was living with family from my church for two hundred dollars a month. And they would send me Luby's cafeteria gift cards periodically. But it, it was a moment where it was dark and lonely. Suddenly I was on my own, but it was a defining moment for me, Darius, where I realized, you know, Derek, if you're going to do something, you got to make it happen yourself. And so funny story. So I, I go on to run for student body president in my college and I win it there as well. And it's funny because I actually racked up some credit card debt with the campaign. But the reason I did it was I knew that in a near-term decision I would make, whether it's the job I would take or something, I could pay that off very, very quickly. So what I didn't want to do is let the thought of debt or a holdback hold me back from a vision or a dream I had in my head. 
Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. Hey there, friends. It's Darius from Shazda here, and I have a little confession to make. You see, I've been battling allergies for years now. And let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Allergies have been my constant companion. They stop me from fully enjoying the little things in life. Canceling plans with friends because of sudden allergy attack to missing out on an outdoor activity because of the sneezing fits. Allergies have been a real nuisance. Luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing and a runny nose, itchy, watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I've been a Claritin D user for many, many years now, and let me tell you, it's made a world of difference. Since I started using Claritin D, my symptoms have improved dramatically. Now I can breathe easier, enjoy outdoor activities without worrying about sneezing fits, and truly live my life without being held back by allergies. Ready to live as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter now. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear uses directed. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. In the world of successful partnerships, names like Procter & Gamble, Ben & Jerry, and Supply & Demand echo through business history. But when it comes to growing your business, who are the perfect partners? That's you and Shopify. (laughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. We're talking from launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we hit a million dollar order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Picture this, a time when my business was facing a tough hurdle and I wasn't sure how to break through. But then came the breakthrough moment, a game changer that took my business to the next level. You know, what I absolutely adore about Shopify is its unparalleled ability to adapt and grow with your ambitions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 75 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Darius, all lowercase. That's D-A-R-I-U-S. Go to shopify.com slash Darius now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Darius. And so I then graduated with a degree in communication. What I quickly realized was my bubble got popped quick. I took one finance class in college. And I realized nobody really wants to hire a communication major. (laughs) I got job offers to to work in development for nonprofits and other companies. So I take this company, this job at a small startup software company. So I'm the one marketing guy there. And it's all engineers and developers. They bring their dogs to work, the ponytails, the shorts, the T-shirts. And I'm kind of a dress up kind of guy. So I'm already a fish out of water. But what begins to happen is. We're all in on this big, important project. We're developing this contact manager database. So the boss would periodically come in on a Friday afternoon and say, hey, guys, I'm going to make Saturday a work day for all of us. Let's all be here at 8 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, what? So I have to call my wife and our plans for the weekend were crushed. Well, that was one thing. But then what happened twice, Darius, was my paycheck bounced. So check this. I write a check to my church for my tithing. I get a call from the pastor saying, hey, Derek, I don't know how to tell you this, but the check you wrote to the church is no good. And I'm like, no way. So I realized this company was on thin ice already, you know, eight employees. And there was a moment in my office, I remember it vividly, where I realized I had a decision to make. And I'm going to bring my dad into the story now because my dad was always somebody who told me, Derek, Nothing ventured, nothing gained. He was always the guy to support me and encourage me. And he would get to the edge of taking a risk, but then he couldn't make the jump himself. Something held him Mm. back. But with me, I realized, you know, my dad was always in a job where he counted on 
someone else to tell him what he was worth, what his value was based on a raise or an evaluation. And I said, I could either stay in that path, which is the job I'm in right now, where people bounce your paychecks and make you work on Saturdays, or I could bet on myself and launch a financial planning business, which I've always had an interest in. And I thought to myself, this had to be a moment that my dad faced, but he chose the safe path, which eventually led him to lose a job, take a job, really build up no lasting wealth. He was a great guy, great supportive guy, but he wasn't someone that I admired from a financial standpoint. And it led me later on in life to really be drawn to other successful men and women because I was like, those are the conversations I want to have around the dinner table is about real estate and stocks and bonds, those kind of things. Remember my mom one time asking me, Derek, very sheepish, she says, Derek, are you a millionaire? And when my mom asked me that question, Darius, I, I was flooded with all these emotions because the answer was yes, but in her world, having two commas in your investment account meant, man, you made it. You're on easy street. Well, as you and I know, a million dollars doesn't buy what it used to 20 years ago. No. A million dollars is a marker, but now it's simply the pathway to get to the next million and the next million, because that's how my mind worked. I was like, a million dollars to me feels like, you know, $100,000, but to her, it was everything. And so that was the moment where I began to, I was working full time. I began to study in the evenings, uh, would get all my licenses. It took about six months. And then I quit my job and then began to build this financial planning practice. And I was told, you're going to fail. You don't have enough cash reserves, which I didn't. They said, you need to have about six months reserves to make it in this business, to build your business. I'm like, look, I've got myself and I bet on myself in the past. And I, and I literally drew on when I ran for office back when I was in high school, my counselor said to me, Derek, as you pick your classes for next year, what if you lose? You need to have a different schedule. And I remember vividly thinking to myself, first of all, there's no way I'm going to lose. And I said, don't ever talk to me like that. Don't, don't, don't say to a student, hey, if you lose, here's what you need to do. Encourage me. And so that, that was really a nerve that has stuck with me today. I feel it all coming back right now that I don't ever want to tell somebody, man, you can't make it or you're going to fail or you're not worth it. I want to be a belief extractor. Even if it's fake until you make it, I want to let them know that somebody believes in you and I'm going to walk alongside you. And I'm not going to tell you, man, you're not going to make it. That really, that when I hear that in society today, it really bothers me. So it just drives me to help my clients be not only financially successful, but also I would say emotionally and life successful as well. Yeah, it, it drives me crazy. I mean, I, I don't mean to talk, I'm sure there's ex exceptions to what I'm about to say, but it's like these college counselors are people that took the safest path out there, right? Like they went to a government job more or less, yeah. you know, probably they're highly educated, probably smart, probably great people. And then probably there's some out there that are like all about teaching kids to take risk and follow their dreams. But like, I never met, I, I've never met one of those <laughs> right, right. you're talking about, which tell yeah. you what you can't do, you know? <laughs> and, you know, I get it. They want you, they, they, they're probably right. The odds of you doing what you did are super low, right? But they're possible. Yeah. And nothing venture, nothing gained to your dad's point. It's like, it's, it's this, you know, I got lucky in a sense in, in that my dad was an entrepreneur and we put out this, this thing on LinkedIn the other day. It was a picture of my dad. He passed away when I was 22 years old, but he mm -hmm. said, I'd rather work for $25,000 a year for myself than $250,000 a year for somebody else. Like yeah. literally, my dad told me that when he was, when I was 16. Yes. 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 And here he was <laughs> doing it. Right. So, so I'm like this kid, I'm like, that makes sense to me. You know, so uh, by the way, when someone tells you that when you're 16, it completely screws your ability to, to be employable. When you're <laughs> that's right. That's right. You <laughs> so, automatically are unemployable. Yeah. I've been, I've been, I've been perpetually unemployable <laughs> since the, since I graduated college. Hey gang, Darius Mashaza here. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. So listen. I know we have a lot of CEOs, entrepreneurs, and business owners out there that listen to the show. And right now, if you're one of those folks and you're doing, let's call it a bare minimum of seven figures and above in your business, then what I'd like to do is give you an offer right now. How would you like to get your hands 
on the frameworks that I actually used to scale my last company, which started off as a small little seven-figure company to over $100 million in annual revenue. And I did it in less than two years, and I did it without costly growing pains, without the headaches that, that you usually experience when you are scaling your business. So... If you're one of those folks and you're trying to grow your company, but you're, you're finding yourself stuck in that day-to-day, if you're one of the listeners and you're getting grinded, this is your respite from getting grinded on your business, you're listening to our show, and you're dealing with the breakdowns, you're dealing with inefficiencies, and you know, you've know you got that firefighter suit on and all the problems lining on your desk, and you're, you're not doing the work you're supposed to be doing, which is working on the business instead of in it, then what I'm about to talk to you about for the next call, 60 seconds, this is precisely for you. Real quickly though, if you don't already know this about me, prior to starting The Greatness Machine, I spent 20 years of my life as a founder and CEO of real world companies. And during that time, I actually grew my companies to over $1.2 billion with a B in bootstrap revenue. In fact, uh, we scaled my last company from 30 to 1,000 employees, and we did it in just 36 months. And we did it all by using a three-step framework that I call my scale map method. So that, of course, brings us to the purpose of this here mid-roll ad. Yes, this is what the podcast producers call these things. Recently, I created a 30-minute training. And what it does is it walks you step-by-step through all of my scale map method frameworks. And you can watch it right now for free when you go to DariusScale.com. That's my first name, Darius. Scale, S-C-A-L-E.com. And what these frameworks do is they fix... They simplify and they streamline every single aspect of your business. And they do it without the need for complicated scaling systems that are typically way too difficult and way too time consuming for a busy CEO like you and like myself was to implement. So if you want a simple and you want a proven path to remove yourself from the day-to-day operations, just like I did, so that you can do what you're supposed to be doing, which is leading your company to record growth without the headaches and without the growing pains, go to DariusScale.com. That's www.DariusScale.com. Watch the short video, and I'll see you guys on the inside. Now, back to the show. People say, hey, these are, the, these are the best practices to be successful, right? Don't, don't take risks because you might fail. Have money in reserves because you probably need it or else you're going to be scrambling on month seven, right? Again, like in a perfect world, you have all these things. But I truly believe that that's not what's going to make you successful. It's having hustle is going to make you successful. That's right. That's right. Overcoming adversity is going to make you successful, you know? And, and so... I think those are the elements that no one can tell you to do. You have to want to do them and go figure it out for yourself. So, so to walk us through that. Like you started the practice, you were undercapitalized, underprepared, but obviously you did it for 25 years. You made it a big success. What do you think? What was it? I mean, first of all, you, you told your guiding counselor, don't talk to me like that, which means you had fire in your belly. Yeah. But what, what do you think it was? What, what was like the key to your success? Well, one of them was I came across this statistic early in my career. And it was from a psychologist who talked about that the average person experiences three to four crises per year interrupted by the occasional emergency. So what that means is that if you're average, and everybody on this show, of course, is far above average, you're either coming out of a crisis or about to go into one that you don't know what's in front of you, interrupted by the occasional emergency. And I'm going to take you back to there was a Bible study of all things that I was in as a young couple with my wife and other couples. And this was before we had kids. And we'd go around the room each week and talk about, hey, how's life? How's your job? How's your parenting? All these kind of things going on in our lives. And one particular couple, Darius, always talked about that they they just had this big cloud of poop that sat over their head. And what they would always say is, you know, here's what's going on in our lives. And once we get past this, then it's going to get better. And they'd say, you know, here's what happened. But once this is over, then it's going to be like this. And I began to realize, you know what? It's never going to be just like that. Once you embrace in a, not a sadistic way, but just a way where a voice of realism, let me be a voice of reason right now and say, anticipate adversity, learn to welcome it as a friend at your door, and just realize that you get to determine who you let in the door 
and who you look at the peak hole through and give it action and motivation. And I began to realize, look, starting a business, there's going to be lots of adversity. Some I don't even know, but I was anticipating that as part of the entrepreneurial journey. It made it a whole lot easier. So that was number one. Number two, uh, just a, a wise friend told me, Derek, become a friend with the phone. You know, these were smart people coming in to be financial advisors. The washout rate had to be something like 50 to one. They'd bring in 50 people and a year later, there'd be one man or woman still standing. You know, it was a brutal business to get into because there's so much rejection. Sure. You get all this licensing and all this mental buildup that, hey, when I call people, they're going to welcome me with open arms. And you're, you're simply revealing to people their own inadequacies, but it's really not about you. That's what I had to realize was they weren't saying no to me or hanging up on me. They were hanging up on their own opportunities or their own fear or their own embarrassment. It wasn't a personal deal to me. Once I realized that, it let me keep going because it was just a numbers game. And I remember one day, it was a snow day in the office, and uh, there were lots of leads I had left messages for, but I couldn't reach. And I realized, man, if I can get to the office somehow, all those people are going to be home and they have to take my call. And so I made it to the office. I remember sliding on the overpass and on this bridge. And somehow I set off the security system in the building. So the head financial advisor guy over all of us comes in. And I remember vividly, he said, ah, oh, I should have known it would have been you, Kenny. This is something you would have pulled. You're the one guy here on a snow day. And what it taught me was that if you want it, if you're hungry, if you really want to make a difference, man, you got to be different yourself. And that's what that day was for me. A lot of people told me no, but it gave me satisfaction that I was clearing my database out to get me closer to the person who really wanted me and I could really impact their lives. And if I didn't do that, I really thought inside that I'm robbing them of the gift of working with Derek. I know that sounds so crazy, but the skill I had to connect with people is I needed to reach them quickly to give them this opportunity because I feel like we could really work well together. It's a huge, I guess, um, point you're making, which is finding your tribe, right? Finding your people. Yes. Right. Yes. And, and there's different ways of applying that through, from a sales perspective, it's getting past the nose to getting to a yes, because to your point, it's a numbers game and, and having built that thick skin around rejection. Cause it's like, ah, oh, whatever, like I'm moving on to the next person. Um, and to your point, like, you know, look, there's a very small percentage of people who, who are wealthy in this, in this country and in this world. And, and so, and it's not because people don't want to be wealthy. It's that people obsess about money, right? Right. People, if you ask most people, if they want to be, you know, wealthy or comfortable, uh, you'd be hard pressed to find somebody that's like, I don't care about money unless they're just like an absolute hardcore, like Nirvana Buddhist monk, right? Or they don't have a need for possession. And there's, there's value in that too, even with money. Right. But, um, yeah, I think that that's such a powerful statement that you're making regarding, you know, your mentality, because. I honest to God think that that's where I find where most people struggle is they get, they take, they believe their rejection, right? They, 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 they yeah, say, Oh, yeah. I knew I wasn't good enough. That's right. And to your point, I think that the people, it doesn't matter whether it's an entrepreneur, or you want to go become an actor or actress or singer or you name it. Right. Right. Like, like these things that all, all they are is maybe more competitive versions of the same thing. Right. Which is how do I stand out to do what I'm good at or what I love? And the answer is, to your point, is sticking with it, figuring out how to be better, overcome that rejection, finding what's going to get me closer to what I really want, right? And I love that, that, that that's such a big part of your story. When you're talking about those folks in your Bible study class, I was like, I used to call, I call those people black cloud people, right? Yes, like, yes. Like, well, lo and behold, the next bad thing's happening to them. Right, and, right. And so I have this, this interesting story where there was this person that used to work for me, and uh, she every day was that she come to work and it's like this bad thing happened and i'm like I, i'm like and i'm like and one day she i she had i was started noticing that the thing that she's like so worked up about i'm like that exact same thing happened to me but i didn't think twice about it <laughs> right, right right and 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 uh, and what happened was that day i had my car i i i actually had a bad morning and my bad morning was i had this beautiful mercedes sl500 Ooh. And I and I lived in San Francisco, and I went outside, and someone had bashed my window in and tried oh. to break into my car. 
and I had shattered glass all over the inside of my car. And, and I had, and like, I literally couldn't even sit in the car to go take it anywhere. Right. Cause it, I glass everything. And so I ended up like, and I had a really busy morning and I came to the office and she comes in, she's complaining about stuff. And again, and I, and I remember thinking to myself, I was like, she's complaining about something that happened to me that I wouldn't even complain about. And I actually had this really annoying thing happen. And here's the best part. I was annoyed, but I literally made a couple phone calls and just went to work and had my day. Yes. Like, yes, like, yes. And so I had a realization at that moment, which, I, which I'd love to hear your thoughts on, because I think it has a lot to do with your book. And my realization was I'm like, I've created an oper- a, li- a life for myself where I can just pay for people to fix shit for me. Yeah. Right. So, and, and I have a mentor that said, a problem's not a problem if money can solve. Yes. So that is how I dealt with it. And yep, I said, yep. I've built a life for myself. And mind you, if you went and looked at my entrepreneurial story, you remember the TV show in Living Color? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, there was, there was, there was a, a, a sketch where there was a Jamaican family that had like everyone would like compete on who had more jobs. Right. So they're like, you only have one job, brother. I got five jobs. <laughs> right. Do you remember that sketch? Yes. Right. So, and, and, it's all and, flooding and, back now. Yeah. You know, all the millennials are like, what are these guys talking about? I'm like, go type in In Living Color Jamaican family in YouTube and watch the sketches. And so oh, we're yeah. all like, yeah, my son's so lazy. He only has five jobs. I got seven jobs, right? So, and my nickname in college was the Jamaican because I had wow. seven jobs. Right? Right, when right. I was an entrepreneur, I, I had seven jobs when I was trying to make it. Wow. And the reason was, was I was kind of like you where I had this like opportunity where they, I was commission only and I could only make it by supporting myself in other ways. So I had finally grown past that. I got to that point where I had a business that was thriving. And I remember having that moment where I was like, I will never put myself in a position where I can't use money to solve my problems. Yeah, like now yeah. there's some problems money can't solve. Don't get me wrong, but there's a heck of a lot that they do solve. So I'd love to just a, get your perspective on, on that. And then maybe let's move into the book and, and you know, you wrote the book and how, how the book maybe thinks about using money for the good and, 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 and in this way as well. As you asked me that question, my mind brought a story back and I want to share this story with you. There was, I was in the office on a Saturday morning, uh, just catching up on some things in my financial planning practice. And I saw that voicemail light begin to blink. And you got that decision to make. Do I press it and get off task of what I want to do? Or maybe there's something going on. A voice inside said, Derek, you need to listen to this message. And so I cautiously pressed the button. And to my shock and surprise, there was a frantic woman's voice on the answer machine. And she said, Derek, You've got to call me back right away. I bounced a check that I wrote at the store and I'm going to go to jail. I was like, what the heck are you talking about? You bounced a check and you're going to go to jail. So I realized I can't wait to call her back on Monday. I need to call her back right now. So pick up the phone, give her a call. And she's frantic. She said, Derek, I can't believe this. I got a note in the mail that a check I wrote bounced and they're going to send me to jail. I said, first of all, tell me what happened. And and basically, she hadn't moved money from checking, from her savings to checking to cover it. I said, we'll call the bank together on Monday. We'll take care of that. I said, tell me about why do you think you're going to go to jail? So she begins to tell me a story about when she was seven years old. Keep in mind, she's 55 years old right now. This was back when she was seven. She says, Derek, when I was seven years old, my dad had gone to the store to buy school supplies for myself and my siblings. And she overheard a phone call that he got from the store owner. Her dad had inadvertently bounced a check as well. And the owner said, you bounced a check and I'm going to send you to jail. Well, his daughter thought if you bounce a check, you automatically go to jail. So here's a woman now that heard this when she was seven and had the same money belief, a bad belief when she's 55. So that moment for me was an epiphany because on the outside, this woman looked very successful, had a leadership position, did very well, but it gave me some insight when I would work with her in all of our meetings face-to-face, you know, several times a year, I realized she was very hesitant to make any decisive moves about her money. She wouldn't take advantage of suggestions I gave her that would have led her to make quite a bit more money. She was always very cautious and reserved. And what I realized was 
she was scared of looking foolish and making a bad decision. And because she realized if I make one bad move, I'm going to go to jail. And so I say that because some of you listening may think, Derek, I've never heard of a story like that. But what it goes back to is not just a bad money belief she had, but what are the beliefs that we all might have that are holding us back? Maybe it was a fourth grade teacher that out of the kindness of her heart said, look, you know what? You're really not made to do this. You ought to think about this. I mean, I remember taking one of those uh, personality tests in junior high, and it said I was good in alphabetizing things. I mean, what kind of a skill is that? Like, I should be a librarian. As I say, a librarian. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, okay, people, okay, I'm not going to be a librarian. So I, I would just let people know that you might have heard voices in your past that have held you back in your job, in your relationships financially. And I would just tell you, your past has passed. And so that brought me to the book, and it's one of the key pieces of the book, is helping people to make the money that they feel they deserve. Now, I'm not all about entitlement. I'm not a big fan of just settle for what the government kind of scrapes off the table and you get the crumbs. I believe that everyone should have the tools, whether they're doing well financially or they've struggled all their lives and been told they can't do well. This book is a roadmap for them to go make more money and then add the fulfillment piece of how to use it for good. You know, even if I find that someone who is deeply in debt, for example, if they can take $5 and suddenly that $5, they're in total control of it. Nobody is telling them how much they owe and what their situation is. And they can find a cause they care about that would add meaning to their life and they give that money to it. Suddenly they feel empowered, even if just for a few minutes. And the book is all about how can we help people find that cause they care about and use that to fuel them to make more money. And uh, Darius, if I can, if I have time, let me share one more story with you. Sure. A, a gentleman named Dave came into my office and he was a longtime client. He was a business owner, like many people listening. And I could tell something was off. You know, he was just carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders. And after some small talk, I said, Dave, it's obvious there's something bothering you. Spill it. So he begins to tell me, Derek, I'm just not as excited to go to the office anymore. And this was a guy who built a successful business. His family worked in the business, did very, very well. But he said, I'm not motivated to go in. We're making good money, but I'm not excited. And for some reason, the, the words came out of my mouth. I said, Dave, is there a cause that you care deeply about? And I could tell the question kind of stunned him. And he sat back and he began to tell me a story that when he and his family went on a trip overseas a couple years earlier, they had gone to this village, and the guide who was walking them through the village said, no, the village really needs a schoolhouse. And because of the lack of education, it's holding back the kids and the adults. Just economically, it's devastating to this entire community. And he remembered exchanging a glance to his wife and back and forth of, wouldn't it be cool to fund that school? So he's back in my office now, and I said to him, what if you set a goal? to increase your sales by a certain amount over the next six months, and you took half of that increase and funded that school. Well, his eyes got as big as saucers, and we bounced some ideas around. So he leaves the office, comes back in three months later. He looks younger. He looks invigorated. He looks like he's back in the game again. I said, Dave, how you looked six months ago to now, night and day, what happened? He said, Derek, I was, I was a bit skeptical at first, but I had nothing to lose. I put into practice what you said, and I let all of our clients and customers know that, hey, going forward, our generosity purpose, as I call it, is to help take a portion of our proceeds of the business to fund this school. Well, it actually grew his business. Customers and clients got motivated. They referred more people because now they realized they could buy his product from anybody, but they couldn't buy his product with the cause they all cared about from anybody. Yeah. It was a bigger story. And then it re-motivated Dave to get back in there, do the hustle, because he also wanted to fund this goal. So they funded half of the goal in about three months. And, and what it did was it taught me for any business owner listening right now that wants to stand out, it feels like they're in a crowded marketplace. I believe this is the ultimate decommoditizing tool for a business owner. 
because you expect to get a great product or service, but if you can be part of a bigger story, I mean, research tells us people will actually pay more money for a product or service when there is a cause associated with it. And it deepens the relationship. When competitors come to call, they're going to say, I don't want to work with you. I want to work with Dave because he gives me a great product and I'm helping make the world better as well. Wow. I love that. It's a, it, you know, so I, I wrote a book called The Core Value Equation, and, that's, and this yes. aligns directly to that, which is essentially I've said that in a commoditizing world, if technology and price and is becoming commoditized, that the only thing that's going to separate companies is values. And this is a perfect yes. example of leveraging one's perfect. values to create a differentiating value proposition in a more competitive marketplace. I love that you landed on that with him. So when, with, with the book, the book, is, the book is essentially talking about what these different ways of thinking about it from a business perspective, from a financial wealth perspective, like, like it would give us kind of a, an overview of who's the book for, what are, you know, high level without giving away the book, like, like what, what are the, what's like, if you just say the top two takeaways that someone who, A, who's it for and, and what are the top two takeaways people you think they're going to get? Yeah. Well, I will in, in a shameless moment of, uh, of a plug, I will give away the first five chapters of the book. If you can go to goodmoneychapters.com and download the first five chapters, because I, I feel like it, it doesn't make sense to withhold a book. I'd rather get this into the world and let people make money and do more good. So yeah, goodmoneychapters.com, first five chapters. The, the, the core of the book is really two groups of people. If you're a business owner or the head of a company right now, as we come out of COVID and we come out of the pandemic, I believe, and this has been shown in data month after month, people's buying patterns have changed. And they're asking themselves, why am I buying and working with the companies I've always worked with? And people want a higher sense of fulfillment. I mean, when you go through the financial trauma that people have had, they've seen people lose a job, they've lost a job, they've lost loved ones, they've had people affected medically, all these things cause people to reevaluate their lives. And we see this in the great resignation. You know, people are jumping for more money. And if there is a company that has a cause and they bring their team into it, it can be not just a way to give money. And this is what I want to debunk real quick. So many people think about giving as, well, I lose and someone else wins. What my model is in the good money revolution is this is actually a way to keep making more money because more people want to work with you because you're part of something bigger and it motivates you to make an impact. So the charitable organization wins, the business wins, and customers love you because you're insulating them from competitors that aren't having that same, I want to help make the world better impact. But also for somebody listening, let's say that you're a teacher or you're a cop or you're a pilot and you've got a fixed pay range. Many people listening can't just walk into their boss, even if they're adding more value and get a raise. Well, you've got a decision to make. And that is you could choose to stay where you're at and start a side hustle and you know, start that with solving the problems for people on the side that you solve in your day job, which is super easy to do. Or that big decision, do you start something new? Now, teachers complain to me all the time, Derek, I'm working 12 hours a day. I can't have a side hustle. I said, well, that's your definition of reality. And I appreciate the work you do. But if you want to make more money, you've got to take control of this. And as I like to say, you know, don't, you know, you live your life like you own it, not like you're renting it from someone else. And so many people's lives are on autopilot right now. And I, I just think it's time to press the pause button and ask yourself, what is it that you really want? And, and begin to take daily steps to move in that direction. And this book is a way for people, wherever they're at, to begin making more money, but also that element of doing more good is a way to keep them motivated to keep doing it. I love it, man. Live your life like you own it, not like you're renting it. That's like one of my new favorite quotes. Yeah. Um, thank you for thank you for sharing that. Man, sure. thank you for sharing this book to the world. You know, I, I really do, you know, like like people say money is the root of all evil, and and I'm I'm a believer of the opposite, which is uh money is a tool that we can use to create more of what we want in the world. And for the right folks with the right mindset, that just means more good. So 
so proud to have you on the show. And as you said before, you can go to goodmoneychapters.com. We'll put that in the show notes and you guys can get the first five chapters of the book for free. Check out the, the Wall Street Journal USA Today best-selling book. What a huge accomplishment, The Good Money Revolution. John, or excuse me, Derek, I have a client named John Kinney. So apologize for that. Derek, so proud to have you on the show, my friend. Darius, this has been a lot of fun. And uh, I was so looking forward to this. And you do not disappoint, man. You're a great host. And uh, it was an honor to be with you today. Thank you for having me. Derek, the pleasure is mine. Everybody, um, such a treat having Derek here. Um, go get the book. Go check out the, t- the first five chapters. Go make some more money. Go do some more good with it. We love you. Peace out. You are listening to The Greatness Machine, and that's a wrap for today. Listen, if you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform that you're tuning in on so that you don't miss any of our future episodes. We have tons of great people coming on, and we're, we're stoked to have you here to enjoy it with us. Leave us a review. Tell us what you love most about this particular episode. We love getting the reviews. We love to see what you guys love most. And if this particular episode you know, made you think of someone who's leveling up in their business and in their life, print screen, share it with them. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we're all here to support and grow with each other. And in case you want to see some of the fun behind the scenes shots or some of the things that we're doing, I'm actually writing about this in my weekly newsletter. Go to www.therealdarius.com and subscribe to my newsletter. We're talking about fun things like business and life and mindfulness and cryptocurrencies and gosh, I don't even know everything and anything, but it's tons of fun stuff I write about. I try to get it out on a weekly basis. You can subscribe at www.therealdarius.com. And with that said, look, thank you guys so much. Appreciate you. I love you. Peace. We're out of here. See you guys on the next one. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the Podcast Princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you wanna learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam, on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.